You may wonder why I have other people read Scripture sometimes. <laughs> Great job with those names. But you know what? Those names don't sound familiar to us, but isn't it amazing that our God knows us by name? Isn't it wonderful that our God not only knows how many hairs on our head, but He cares for us, and He loves us, and He knows us intimately, and He still loves us. And so when we read those names, it may say, who in the world are those folks? Can you put your name there and just know that our God is amazingly good and amazingly loving, and He knows us by name. There's reason to celebrate. Let us pray together as we look to God in the preaching of His Word. Father God, You say that strength will come to those who focus on you and who wait upon you and and remember what your son has done for sinners like us. And so, God, as we are here gathered in your name, we ask that you would send the spirit of your son here with power to us so that we can be reminded that you're such an amazingly loving and good God that you know us by name, that you know the details of our lives. And amazingly, in Christ Jesus, you love us just the same. Father, we are in Nehemiah to the point where, God, they're celebrating. They're celebrating what you have done in and through them. So God, would you come in such a tangible way through the preaching of your word so that we could do that, which we should be doing, celebrating in the midst of our brokenness and our pain, because our God has come, and our God lives, and our God wins, and our God reigns. God, I pray that you'd use my words to cause a celebration, not because they're mine, but because you have come and you've God-soaked them in a way that we can see and hear Jesus. The things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, those things fall away. And God... Would you come with such power that we have reason to celebrate? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Everyone loves a good parade. Well, at least everyone loves a good celebration. And uh, we've been studying Nehemiah together. And as we come to the end of our study together, we're going to find ourselves at a picture-perfect celebration. That God's people are going to gather and they're going to celebrate all that God has done for them. They literally rise up. It's interesting. Did you see, as, you, as Vicky was reading, did you get lost in the names? Did you see what was really happening there? Uh, there's this dedication of the wall, and there's more than that. There's this dedication of the community. There's this dedication for what all God was doing in and through them. And they literally rose up together, and they formed a parade. I mean, it was really cool that, that a choir and a bunch of people of the town went one way and a choir and the people, some of the other people went another way. Ezra, the priest, led one group. Nehemiah led another group. And guess where they were parading? Right on top of the wall that they built. I mean, God had in 52 days allowed them to build this wall and now they're standing on top of it and they're all together and they're celebrating and they're just singing with all of their might. I love the picture of it. It was maybe these families were together and they're saying to their families, remember we worked on this wall. Remember we're coming right at the part where you put that rock. Right there is where we built it. And they looked to see all that God had done. And the reality that Ezra brought out God's word and he rebuilt that community. And they realized whose they were and how deeply they were loved. And man, did they celebrate with all their might. As a matter of fact, they ended up at a temple. 
They ended up with a place where God uniquely at that time placed his name in his presence. And they all sang God's presence together. It was a picture perfect celebration. Let me say that, by the way, the chapter doesn't end here. We're not going to go into the next chapter. There's still work to be done, just like in all of our lives. In the midst of all the good things that God has done for us, is there still not some work to be done? And we see that in Nehemiah as well. But we see this, this celebration. And you look at verse 43, we find out some amazing news that it's really, it's a God-provoked and a God-soaked celebration. It basically says this. Did you see it in 43? That God caused them to celebrate. God's presence with them caused them to celebrate and be saying, thank you, God, for all you've done. Let's take a quick recap. What are they celebrating? Well, they're celebrating Nehemiah's leadership and how God raised him up, that they felt like they were losers and they felt like they were defeated and they couldn't build their city. But God raised up and touched Nehemiah and in 52 days, they have a city with a wall and they're protected. But there's more than that, more than just a city under reconstruction. It was a community that was being transformed. Ezra, the priest, had brought out God's word and revealed to them how much God loved them and who they were. And his community was being rebuilt. They rejoiced. It's my hope and prayer that we can all rejoice in all that God has done for us today, that we will see Jesus in the midst of all of this. Uh, Through this Nehemiah series, I've loved hearing from several of you saying, man, this is how God's challenging me. And and this is what I am learning. And I've asked uh, a couple people to share. Some shared in the early service. I've asked Kenny Brown to come and to share about how God has caused him a God-provoked celebration and things he's taught him in Nehemiah. So thank you for coming, Kenny. It'd be nice if I gave you a mic. There you go, brother. For those of you that knew that Jeff was going to, a couple of things happen when people uh, hear that Kenny Brown's going to have a microphone. They either get comfortable or they get scared. And for those of you that heard that Jeff was going to hand me a microphone, go ahead and get comfortable. You don't have to be scared. Everything's going to be all right. I told a couple of my guys at a barbecue that I taught uh, last night that I was going to be speaking at church. And it was amazing because once they heard I was speaking at church, I started counseling someone through a divorce, someone through death, and someone through life choices they didn't think they were going to have to make as they're about to be deployed to Afghanistan. Mm. I thought to myself, great. Here I am thinking I wanted to be a preacher, and here I am mm-hmm. trying to figure out a way to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Nehemiah has charged all of us with an outstanding task. And if you humor, humor me for just one second, just so I can prove to Bill Talby that I don't text in church, I do write down what Jeff says. And he spoke on clarity, confidence, courage, and capacity. And he talked about a God-soaked project or a life. And he said, expect enemies, endure trials, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God, anticipate the world to notice and guard and support all what God has done. And that charged me. And I told Jeff, I texted him. I texted, I didn't email. He, he's blocked me off the email list. <laughs> and I charged him. I, I said, you're getting me all dressed up with no place to go, basically. That fired me up. That's like being a a football coach who gives a great inspirational talk 
And I put my helmet and pads on, ready to go fight a battle. And the scary part was, I kind of felt like I ran out the door by myself. And I didn't want to, it didn't motivate me to greet. It didn't motivate me to work in the nursery. It didn't motivate me to set up. It motivated me to have no fear to do impossible things in the name of God. It gave me no fear, which is very, very dangerous because I don't care about the fact that when I have God as the center of what I'm trying to get to, I have no fear. I expect to do the impossible. At Orangewood, we have an opportunity to do the impossible. We have a fantastic church. We have a beacon on a hill. And I would like to charge you to go without fear, just like Jeff has charged all of us through Nehemiah, to go without fear and start putting a light on that hill that shines forever, to do great things. I'm blessed to be the athletic director at this school. And every day I walk through the doors, I'm inspired by the kids that are here. When you drive past Orangewood Christian School, 95% of the people think it's a school that's filled with a bunch of rich white kids that have no problems and live privileged lives. This is the largest ministry I've ever been affiliated with. And I used to have 900 athletes. Here I only have 260 kids. And every day I walk in, I'm inspired by the kids who wake up every single day to fight a battle that should be impossible. But they do it because they come here knowing that God's gonna love them. They do it without fear, knowing that they're coming here to fight a battle in God's name. So I charge you, we all do, we need greeters. We need, BA needs help in the nursery. Charles needs help setting up, that's great. But let's do the impossible in the name of God with clarity and confidence and expect enemies. I told Jeff, I want to build. We have plenty of places around here. I've been at Orangewood for three years and all I've heard is, you know, building a great stadium. Where's our sanctuary? We're doing great things, but where's this? Where's this? The dangerous thing about Kenny Brown is the fact when you talk, I'll do. And person sitting next to you, person sitting next to me, there is someone there willing to build and to do great things, to put a light on this hill. The one thing I texted Jeff is, don't do sermons like this and expect me to sit still. And I'm just one. So I will follow him through anywhere. And I know there's Hundreds of others that will do the same. We are blessed with a fantastic preacher who happens to be my friend, but blessed. I didn't know him before I came here, but he has a large task, and that's to do the impossible without fear, with confidence in the name of our Lord. And if you can do that, we will accomplish great things, but expect enemies. I found that out when I came here. So thank you for letting me talk, thank Jeff. You. I appreciate you. it. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Love you.
don't follow Hefe unless Hefe's following Jesus. And then that's, I'm Hefe, supposedly. But uh, thank you, Kenny. What a great reminder. Uh, you know, that God wants to tell his story through us. He wants to proclaim to the world his celebration through your life. And you might be here today and feel like, I don't feel like celebrating. I, I, I don't feel like my life is a success. I, I don't know how God's going to use me. But I believe as we close up Nehemiah and we look to God's word, we're going to find components of a picture-perfect celebration that for all of us. And we're going to find a success that God has for us. And the amazing reality is, is that God wants us to leave here and to go into the streets with singing with our lives. He knows the truth about us. He knows what's in our lives. And yet he knows what Christ has done for us. He wants us to be the dancers on injustice. He wants us to be his storytellers. He wants us to be the ones who are celebrating life and life abundantly. So if you want to look in your bulletin, we're going to look at some components of a picture-perfect celebration at the end of Nehemiah and ask God to come and just show us how can we get that, how can we gain that in Christ Jesus. Well, we've seen that a celebration that is picture perfect starts with God. It's God provoked and it's God soaked. It's God who really gives us true reason to celebrate. But true celebration is this celebration with gladness. In the beginning of the passage we read, it said there's a few words we're going to focus on. And one of them is gladness. This is gladness that is amazingly deep-seated gladness. This is gladness that changes your whole disposition. This is gladness that affects you physically. It affects your heart racing. It affects your soul. This is gladness that, that puts a sparkle in your eye. This is gladness to know that God loves us and he's going to get us home safely. Have you seen the, uh, the TV uh, show Surprise Homecoming with uh, that long-haired country dude, uh, Billy Ray Cyrus? Have you seen that show? It's a pretty amazing show. It's, it's basically a show that will have our soldiers who come home and they surprise their family. The family doesn't know. The family's been praying for them. The family's worried about them. And all of a sudden, it's all been arranged that their family member is going to emerge. And there's going to be something going on that looks pretty benign. And maybe their grocery store or there's maybe some kind of cookout happening or whatever. And all of a sudden, surprise, here comes a loved one. Surprise, out of nowhere, the one they thought was in harm's way is right there with them. I love watching the response because the response is not like, oh, hey, how you doing? The response is knees buckle. You know, usually a very high pitched scream from males and females, apparently. And it's just great joy. I mean, just to see spouses and kids and parents that twinkle in their eye that they're home safe, that their loved one is there with them. This is the kind of celebration that was happening This is the kind of gladness in their heart. They realize, listen, God was with them. They realize they're back home in the promised land. They realize that they were home safe, that they had this wall around the city and that they were with God and they had reason to celebrate. Listen, Jesus has come. He's come for his children. He's come to rescue those who were lost. He's come, he's coming away, he says, and I didn't fail. I came to give my life so that they could live and I'm gonna bring them all home safely. You're gonna make it. I don't lose any, Jesus says. All of my sheep are gonna be with me. So no matter where you are in life, no matter what stage you're in right now, if you're his, 
If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, we know that God gets us home safely. And we should have amazing gladness of heart that God is for us and God is with us. So they celebrated with gladness, but they also did more than that. They celebrated with thanksgiving. And again, this word thanksgiving, you think thanksgiving, you might think turkey, stuffing, and football. But this word thanksgiving is quite different in the Hebrew. It's really more of a, of a word like confession. What was happening is it was they were singing, and one translation is uh, hymns of thanksgiving. What they were really doing was this. They were confessing their sins, both individually and nationally. And they were also proclaiming the great character of God. That God would forgive them and that God loves them and God is with them. It's a realization as they got under God's word that this, that the joy of the Lord is their strength. It was they got under God's word and they realized, "Uh uh-oh, we're sinners and we've messed up in a holy God's sight. They started to weep. And all what happened is the priest came around them and said, let me remind you something. God is loving. God is merciful. And they took him to chapter 810. We see it says this. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And that phrase basically means this, that God can be our shelter, that God can be our safety, that God can be our refuge. And here's the beauty of this, ready for this? That God loves us so much. He knows our names. He knows our stories. He knows our our brokenness. He knows our sin. And yet God can still be our joy because God is our refuge. And here's what was happening. Because of the relationship with God, they knew that they had the freedom to tell the truth about themselves. They had the freedom to confess their sins, knowing that God was merciful. And man, were they doing it. So this word of thanksgiving was this songs of basically saying, we are messed up, we are broken, but we are loved. I had a really mean third grade teacher. I don't know what happened to her. She maybe had some trouble growing up. I don't know, but she had a mean third grade teacher. And I'm sure she'd say, I had a terrible kid in my third grade named Jeffrey Jakes. But whatever happened, we did not have a very good year together. And I remember there was one particular assignment that Miss Simone made me do over three times. Three times she made me do it over. And I was really sick of it. So I did something I thought was very clever. I took the paper I had to do over three times. I turned it over. And I wrote a bad word on it three times. Now, you see, I'm smart because teachers don't look at the other side of the paper, right? They only look at the front side. So I thought I'm getting away with this. I'm just going to tell her how I feel on the back side, turn that puppy in and just go from there. Well, Miss Simone apparently looks at the back side of papers, (laughs) called me forward, said, Jeffrey, I want to talk to you about your paper. And she turned it over. Oh, no. There it was. Never heard the word in second grade. All the fourth graders were saying it. Thought it'd be a good thing to pass it on to Miss Simone. It wasn't. She said, Jeffrey, uh, I I don't really appreciate this. And what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to hold this paper until parent-teacher conference in a couple weeks. What a mean woman. I mean, (laughs) oh, my and, you know, so you can imagine that's eating at me. And then a couple of days go by and my mom and I, we have uh, uh, evening prayers together, which we always did. And, and the Holy Spirit's working on this little third grade heart. And I just couldn't stand anymore. And I, I cried out to my mom and said, Mom, I got to tell you what a sinner I am. I got to tell you what I did. And I got to tell you what I wrote. And I've asked God to forgive me. Will you forgive me? And my mom said, you remember, Jeffrey, God is an amazing, loving and gracious God. He forgives you. I forgive you. 
Let's write to Miss Simone and ask her to forgive you too. The next day, I, I took a letter in that we had written and I said, I gave it to my teacher and I said, I'm so sorry. And in that letter, it says that I've come clean and I've confessed to God and I've confessed to my mom. And Miss Simone, will you forgive me too? And for a third grader, that's the big triad. You know, God, mom, and teacher. And uh, amazingly, um, she did. She forgave me. She says, hey, you can rip this up. But I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it right then. I had to take it back to my mom. And I got off the school bus and I ran. And we ran upstairs into my room and for some reason went in my closet because maybe we didn't want anybody else to see. And we ripped it up together. And a third grader knew what Thanksgiving of forgiveness of sin was all about. Knew what it was all about, that it was safe to be real before God and be still loved. Safe before your mom and others. And man, I couldn't help but just want to celebrate. It's over. I'm thankful. I'm forgiven. Listen, if you're here and you're God's, if God's son has shed his blood for you, if, if you've had the power of, of, of the cross in your life to forgiving, forgiven your deepest, darkest sins, is there not reason to celebrate? Is that not thanksgiving? Because really that's what's happening. It's just this confession of sin that, yes, I've messed up, but yes, God is good. And oh, how wonderful it is to be clean and cleansed before our great God. That's true thanksgiving. To know that reality. Not only did that, they had gladness of heart, they had thanksgiving, but they also celebrated with singing. And again, the word here is singing. We just might blow right by it and say, oh yeah, they sang. But there's really, really more to that. I mean, this is joyous, triumphal, love song singing. It literally says this in a Hebrew dictionary. It's noisy, drunken revels. It's basically this joy of the Lord and the reality that God is our strength. That God is unchanging. That God is never failing. That God is merciful. And with thanksgiving that we could come before him and confess our sins and bask in his love and mercy. How can that keep us from singing? Can it not? When you think of all that Jesus has done for us, we focus on the reality of that Roman cross. Can we not sing in a way that's just amazingly at times undignified of all that God has done for us? That's exactly what happened in Scripture when David had, was in the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant. He sang and he danced with all of his might. He realized God's presence was with him and that king was so undignified before uh, others to say, I can't help but just sing God's presence about his presence and his love. Presbyterians don't do a very good job dancing. Uh, we don't always do a great job of singing with all of our might. But the reality, have you looked deeply into the face of Jesus? Have you realized what he's done for us? Should it not cause us to sing? My father and, and brother-in-law uh, went to a couple of uh, amazing uh, sporting events. I think the greatest sporting event in my lifetime was the Miracle on Ice in 1980. Uh, it's when a bunch of college kids played the greatest uh, hockey players in the world from the Soviet Union right in the midst of the Cold War. I mean, it was an amazing event, and they were there. Long story why I'm not there, I don't have time to tell you. But what I love is this is not only do we win the game, but they talked about the experience of the atmosphere. They talked about spilling out of the stadium and onto the streets of Lake Placid. That everybody was singing the national anthem. That everybody was chanting USA. The people who had no idea who they were were hugging each other and singing and rejoicing. Why? Because of what great things a hockey team had done. But have you ever been in those moments where you just can't help but singing? 
That's, that's what's happening in Nehemiah. That's what's happening when they realize, man, God is for us. God is with us. God is good. And if we can't see that reality here, we've missed it. And what a beautiful reality that should cause us to sing. This picture-perfect celebration it really is being intoxicated with the love of God's story. Being intoxicated in God's love. The world can get us intoxicated by other means. It will give us a headache and it will always want us wanting, leave us wanting. Do you know the amazing love of God that truly is life-changing, intoxicating, changes your soul, your heart, your disposition, your eyes sparkle? That's the reality of what they were doing. Celebration, it's all inclusive. A picture-perfect celebration for me can only include my family. I mean, the reality of it, just me and, and, and maybe Katie missed it or some of my kids missed it. It's just not quite the same. And I love what scripture says. Did you read it? Did you hear it? It said, who were those who were celebrating? It was the men. It was the women. It was the children. The such good news about God's perfect, picture perfect celebration. And it includes all of us. It includes those of you who are single, those of you who are widow or widowers, those of you who have had a divorce, those of you who are married, children. It's all inclusive. All of God's family are included. There's no one left behind. It's such good news. Such good news to have a God who loves his image, both male and female, and a covenant God who loves our children more than we do. Not only that, picture perfect celebration that's contagious. As they sang, they sang so loudly and they danced so uh, uh, with such energy and passion that they were heard and seen throughout Jerusalem and beyond. Their, their love for God was contagious. Let me ask you this question. Are those around you hearing the joy of your life? Or are you giving them static and grumbling? Let's ask it this way. If your life were a radio station, what kind of music would people hear if they tuned in? How much static? Would they want to join in and sing with you? You see, is God's children, he's come into our lives and he's, he's so given us life and life abundantly that he wants to take our life story out there on the streets and let the streets resound with singing of our lives. And here's the beautiful thing. He knows that we're broken. He knows that we're going to mess up. He knows. But the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? So we go out there and we have unveiled faces because the gospel has set us free. We tell the truth that we're still struggling on our way home. And our lives are anything but perfect, but Jesus is. And we go out and we go live for him. And that song of Jesus is seen and it's heard and it should be contagious. Is the joy of this church being seen and heard and felt by those around us. God wants to tell his love story through you and me. We're his ambassadors. And our love story and our love for him should be contagious. Our love for God should be loud and clear. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. Why are you like that? I know your life. Why are you so happy? Why is there joy? Because Jesus is there. Lastly, a picture-perfect celebration is Christ-centered. Its focus is on Christ and God's glory. That Jesus came to rescue us, and, and again, our lives are not 
perfect yet. But there was one sacrifice that was perfect. And through that sacrifice of God's own Son, and through His righteousness, God Almighty can now look at us in perfection. And in the midst of stumbling home, in the midst of still trying to get this sanctification to becoming more like Him, our celebration should be Christ-centered. We look at Him and say, there's the one that we need to live for. Scripture says this in Ephesians 5.1, that we should be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And as Jesus lived His life, now we're called to live ours. Celebration that our King is here and our King loves us. This Thursday, my, my nephew, one of my, son, one of my brother's eight kids, and my dad... Uh, went to a Yankee game. And that probably doesn't seem like a big deal to you. He lives in New York, but my nephew lives in Buffalo, New York. That's eight hours away from New York City. And when the schedule came out this year, he wanted to take my dad to a game. He wanted to take him to a Yankee game. How cool of a 20-year-old uh, grandson wanted to take grandpa to a game. And they had to work out the logistics. And they took a, they took a train down into New York City. And it took about eight hours to get there. And they, they looked at the schedule. They said, well, uh, in this Thursday game in August, it's going to be a day game. And we'll be able to go down there and be able to come back in one day. And I'll be able to go to work. And so uh, he spent hours on the train. They get down into New York City for the first time experience New York and, and things like subways. And they get to the game. Can you it was a rain delay. Stand in the rain an hour and a half. It's pouring down on them. And uh, uh, the first thing they do is go in the souvenir shop and spend all their money on dry clothes. And the game wasn't what they thought it would be. You know, I mean, after one inning, it was one to one. After two innings, the Yankees were losing two to one. And after three innings, the, the game was uh, out of hand. It was seven to one. The Yankees were losing. And they make a decision. They say, you know what? If we leave now because of the rain delay, we can catch the early bus back home and sit on the bus for seven hours. So they did that. They, they get up and they leave in the third inning, 7-1. And they go. And the next inning, there's a home run. The following after that, there's a grand slam home run. The following after, after that, there's another grand slam home run. I cannot contain my enthusiasm. I call my dad. and says, you got to be kidding me. I can't believe what you're witnessing. And there was silence on the other end. And it's like... Oh. What's happening? We're at the bus station. (laughs) (laughs) History was set. Three Grand Slam home runs. The Yankees scored 22 runs and they only witnessed one. They didn't stick around long enough to celebrate. They were so close and they missed it. They they, they They had journeyed so far and they missed it. And they just, they missed history. And the friends of mine that knew my dad was there were texting me saying, your dad's watching, he's seeing history. I'm like, no, he's not. He's on a bus for seven hours. And if you know my dad, it's so apropos. When he comes back from uh, his time in North, my parents just really give him a hard time. Can you be this close to Jesus and not be celebrating? Are you missing it? I mean, maybe it feels like right now it's seven to one in the third and you're just getting your brains beat in. But don't you know Jesus wins? Don't you know that we're loved by the king? Isn't that good news? Our lives should be a parade, a parade of celebration that our God loves us and he's for us and he's getting us home safe. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for just the way you do love us and that God, in Christ Jesus, we have joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Oh, great God, we pray that our lives would be a parade of joy, a picture-perfect celebration in the midst of anything but perfect life because people would see Jesus see him clearly through our own brokenness.
And God, as we give back to you what we've given to us, we say thank you. May we start by giving our lives to you and our love to you. Use these tithes and offerings to advance Christ's kingdom. And we thank you that our king is named Jesus and he's given us reason for celebrate. We pray in Christ's name, amen.